Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to another episode of Friends from Work, a podcast about all things in the Marvel Cinematic Universe with your host, me, Robbie Earl, and your other host, him, Kyle Sconewell. Kyle, how are you doing? Never been better. I'm very happy. How are you? Good. I am great. And I'm curious if you were able to make it through a watch of this movie without immediately playing the Spider-Man PS4 game afterwards. <laughs> I somehow <laughs> managed to pull it off. I did not play it. However, I have beaten it all the way through twice. And it's one of the only video games. You act like that's games. an obstacle. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it's one of the only video <laughs> games that like, when I say I beat it, I did everything. Every tiny little right. thing possible twice. So It's hard for me to watch this movie, I I, didn't, I don't think I realized how much synergy there is between this movie specifically and the video game in terms of kind of the <laughs> gadgets and some of the visuals where I'm just watching. And I'm like, I can't not go swing around in that homecoming suit now. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know. It's got to happen. I'm sorry. I, I, we didn't talk about this, so it's amazing you brought this up. But if you go to my Twitter yesterday, I did tweet Insomniac Game saying, I'm still waiting on <laughs> Spider-Man 2. What is going on? <laughs> so, yes, I am obsessed. It's amazing. The t- yeah. Okay. okay. Yep. <laughs> Sorry. Awesome. I just I know our mutual love for that game. So again, if you're out there, listeners, and you have a PS4 and you somehow have not played this game yet, and you enjoyed this movie, what are you even right. doing? As I've talked about in one of our Beyond the MCU episodes, I am really, really passionate about what I'm passionate about. So <laughs> five <laughs> seconds ago, that was me just stumbling over my words because I'm saying to myself, okay, don't get into it, Kyle. Don't get into it. But there's this overwhelming <laughs> burning inside me going, get into it. Just get into it. Talk about Spider-Man <laughs> the video game. Um, the score in that video game is also incredible. I could just go on and oh, on Oh, it's and so on, good. So. <laughs> Before we get too much into Spider-Man world, which we will, I do want to take a second and thank everyone that has so graciously gone on and rated and reviewed yes. the podcast. We appreciate your subscribing um, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you have not done that, yep. uh, we hate to keep pleading with you. <laughs> um, <laughs> Don't make us keep asking. But, <laughs> but it's, it would just mean a ton to us if you could take a second and go do that. And... Don't forget that people can subscribe to our podcast anywhere podcasts are found. Friends from work on right. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher's popping up these days. So whatever oh, true, floats your true, boat, true. we're there. And as we've said the past few episodes, we do have this handy new website, the FFWpodcast.com. So handy. So if you're like, 
if you're like, oh man, I just get real confused out in the wilderness of the internet. I don't know. I don't know one site from another. No worries. Just go to this site. We've got all the links for you. You can go wherever you need to go to subscribe or rate and review whatever. So head over there. We'll take care of you. Absolutely. Spider-Man homecoming, Robbie. Oh, let's do it. Let's do it. Yes. Um, you grew up watching Spider-Man your whole life, right? So this probably is extra oh, special gosh. for you, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it a few times, but it's like it's one of my earliest memories is watching the 90s Spider-Man cartoon, which I will also just wax poetic about for way longer than any 90s cartoon deserves. <laughs> so if, any, if anyone ever wants to have that conversation, Hashtag just let me know. It's nostalgia. Not <laughs> Hashtag nostalgia. Okay, Spider-Man Homecoming. It released in 2017, directed by our boy, John Watts. Yep. Uh, stars a lot of people you already know. Tom Holland. You've heard of Michael Keaton. By the way, if you haven't seen The Other Guys, it's one of my favorite comedies of all time, starring oh, Michael gosh. Keaton. <laughs> Love it so much. <laughs> he plays Adrian Toomes. Shout out to the video game. <laughs> no spoiler there, but you'll see what I'm talking about. Um, Robert Downey Jr. reprises his role as Tony Stark. Marissa Tomei is yes. a very interesting take on Aunt May which I love. <laughs> John Favreau comes back as Happy Hogan, Gwyneth Paltrow. Zendaya makes her appearance here. Donald Glover, Jacob Batalon, who I freaking love in this movie, amongst mm-hmm. a bunch of other great people. The cast is pretty overwhelmingly great, and this movie grossed nearly a billion dollars. However, I will say that is interesting to me a little bit because a lot of these movies at this point had been grossing a billion. This one didn't quite get right. there. Can you blame it on Spider-Man fatigue from the other Spider-Man movies? Maybe. I don't know. It's still a ton of money. Any other film would be happy with $888 million or whatever it was. But right. found that notable. But let's get into this stinking movie. <laughs> I just enjoyed the heck out of this one this time. I want to give one <laughs> other disclaimer. I have not re-watched this movie that many times. I mean, I've definitely seen it again. But it's probably like under five times. So this is another one of those films that just felt really fresh to me because I haven't beaten it to death. Right. Yeah, This I actually have a similar relationship. This is one that that whenever I do end up returning to it, I always have so much fun because there's just a lot that I forget happens. And actually kind of big picture wise, I want to, I think that we mentioned this at some point, either off air or on air. There's a lot more Spider-Man in this movie than I remembered. Really? In that, I feel like I always think of this as being like, oh, it's really heavy on Peter Parker and not a lot of great Spider-Man action scenes. And maybe there aren't great action scenes per se, but we actually do get a lot of good Spider-Man scenes. Like if you're looking at that first scene where he's going around like the churro and the DC scene and the fairy scene. Well, I think the reason we reference that is because he's not necessarily at full power yet. So even though he is -Man, Spider-Man, he's still learning his suit and there's a ton of that. Here's where I want to start, Robbie. I think let's just zoom out and take a 30,000-foot view of Spider-Man as a character for a second because... Love that. Spider-Man is such a unique character in the fact that we've already had five Spider-Man movies in our lifetime alone. Plus the cartoon that you were talking about and other things. And So Spider-Man is probably the most famous Marvel character ever. Totally. So they were starting in a very unique spot. Yeah, I mean, we, and even the cartoon I'm referencing is one of like five or six cartoons that have existed. And you're right, there are all these different incarnations across comics, there are novelizations, there are movies. It's like, it is the definition of saturation. So, here's my favorite thing that Marvel did. And again, 
I obviously have a Marvel podcast because I love Marvel, but I don't think they're flawless. <laughs> but in some ways, they just keep continuing to blow my mind as I go back through this stuff. And here's what I mean. Right. As just a movie watcher, again, not a comic reader, not a 90s cartoon show watcher like you were talking about. I remember when Spider-Man showed up in Civil War, everybody that was a comic book fan like you freaked out because it was like, oh gosh, finally Spider-Man's here. And I was excited right. about it, but I don't have the same baggage with Spider-Man. So I was a little bit more like, okay, it's not Tobey Maguire. Like, is it Andrew Garfield? Like, what's happening here? <laughs> and here's what I think was genius about it. Sure. They took a, such a conscious effort to make this MCU Spider-Man so different from the other ones. And I have a list of mm -hmm. all the things that they did to make it stand out from the Sam Raimi movies and the Andrew Garfield stuff. So, for example, I'm so thankful that they didn't give us another Spider-Man origin story as far as, oh, here's how he was bit by a spider. Oh, and here's Uncle Ben right, right. dying. And not that those things are bad, but I'm just saying I've already right. seen that story so many times at this point. Thankful right, and we touched that. on that a bit in the Civil War episode. Right, how about instead of having Uncle Ben, you mix in Tony Stark as like his fatherly figure. That's fresh. How about right. Aunt May? Which again, a lot of people have problems with, but I'm, I'm right there with you. How about Aunt May yeah. being younger and hotter? How about... <laughs> Like, instead of him being in love with an MJ or uh, Gwen Stacy, it's a different girl, right. Liz, right? How about a play right. on MJ in the first place? How about only right. references to a spider, not actually ever showing a spider? Again, how about we make yeah. him younger? Put him in, like, sophomore year of high school. And one other thing, how about instead of rebooting a villain like Green Goblin or Doc Ock, they give us something new with yep. Vulture. My point is, they had a chance to make Spider-Man stale, and they didn't. They did something fresh. Yeah, I actually want to talk about this for a second, because coming from a lifelong Spider-Man fan, and again, as I've said before, I really, I was like Spider-Man costume to the grocery store every day when I was a little <laughs> kid Spider-Man fan. Every day. So, <laughs> you were going to the grocery store every day? Look, man. How my, bad did you need groceries? My, my mom is a lot of things. She is not a planner. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, this movie is the perfect blend, I think, of classic Spider-Man and sort of modern sensibilities. Obviously, that's something that each Spider-Man movie has attempted to capture. And I'm not even here to say that all the other Spider-Man movies have some kind of flaw where, you know, we have to show why this one's inherently better. But to your point, what I think is really impressive from the perspective of the Spider-Man character that Stan Lee introduced us to in the early 1960s, like he was a 15-year-old kid that was super emotional and dramatic and like could kind of be really more annoying than cool. Like, and that was what made the Spider-Man character really revolutionary. And if you kind of look back into the history of comics, the reason why Spider-Man blew up the way he did is because up until that point, every major superhero had always been essentially flawless. Like if, if you look at Superman and even Batman, even though Batman had kind of a tragic origin story, you never really saw any of them fail in any meaningful way and especially not in a personal way. And so what Stanley did with Spider-Man is he made Peter Parker as important as Spider-Man which mm. we can kind of take for granted now, you know, because especially not seeing Spider-Man until this point in the MCU, we've seen that with Tony Stark. We've seen that with Steve Rogers, but that was totally revolutionary at the time. Right, right. But, 
giving him an actual personal life that you care about. And the comics almost had this like soap opera feel, which again, John Watts does a great job of kind of translating the teenage drama into his own take on like an 80s John Hughes movie. And he even kind of makes overt shout outs to that with like the Ferris Bueller scene when he's running through the backyards. And so it's this really great, like dead on mixture, I think, where you have all of the heart behind kind of classic 60s Spider-Man of this under guy. He's super small. Like I said, he's like really, he's immature ultimately, but you put that in 2017 in such a perfect way with the soundtrack, with the tech, with the pop culture references, the way that he interacts with the Avengers. And I think in the most genius way, the way that, again, like almost a direct shout out to, to some of the early comics where, you know, comic book Spider-Man first started interacting with characters like Iron Man and Thor. Like he was always in awe of being around them because, again, he's this high school kid that's just kind of a nerd and he's next to someone like Tony Stark or someone like Thor. And I love those moments and even just like not just how geeky he was, like what we saw in Civil War, but even just like the, the humor that we see in that bank robbing scene where he's making those like dumb Avengers jokes where you can just tell he's obviously Mm -hmm. kind of, he is himself a fan of the Avengers, which again, the other thing I love to kind of wrap this up in terms of tying Spider-Man into the MCU so effectively is you have to think about the fact that a Spider-Man in this universe that has grown up watching Iron Man and watching the Avengers. I mean, he lives in New York, so he probably saw the battle of New York in some capacity. These would be his heroes. You know, so as he gets these powers, these are his mm. role models. You know, he's probably was geeking out over them as a little kid, but now it's like, you know, as, as soon as he gets his own abilities, and that's the first time we've seen something like that. You know, we haven't seen a younger hero that's grown up in the world of the Avengers. And I just think it's there's so many interesting things done, but I was just really impressed by the again the blending of these age-old Spider-Man kind of core values with the modern MCU vision. I couldn't agree more <laughs> with everything you just said. I didn't write as many notes for this movie. And part of the reason was because I wanted to just frame the entire conversation from what you just said from that perspective, which is, the, I already thought this movie was good. I rewatched it and I feel like it's it's virtually flawless. Like, yeah. I, I can't imagine how they ever could have brought Spider-Man into the MCU like you're saying any better. Right. And it's a weird place to kind of have a podcast from because there's not much to disagree on. There's not much to argue about. It's kind of like Winter Soldier where I just right. watch and I go, yeah, I have chills right now thinking about how flawless that was. <laughs> and I think because of the background of the old Spider-Man stuff and the baggage that that character carried and everything you just said, it did. It, there's a world where that wasn't the case. It didn't have oh, to yeah. be as perfect as it was. But... I can't find very much wrong with it. I love everything you're saying. I love how they bring him in. And this might be the film that references the rest of the MCU and has Easter eggs almost more than any in the entire oh, MCU, yeah. I think. I have I a wrote whole that, MCU I writing them references all down. section. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's not just that John Watts set out to make a great standalone movie, which he did. He clearly was loving the idea of tying this in. Right. I mean... And like you said, with the hero thing, like even the genius of having Captain America shoot the high school videos for like, yes. again, a reminder of like, if this was real, 
that would be such a funny thing to show high school students. So your body's changing. Right. All that stuff is amazing <laughs> right. from Captain America. Yeah, which side note, I had a great moment watching this because there are times where I just, I'll, I'll be watching the credits and I'm trying to remember what the end credit scene for a movie is. And so I'll just wait to see what it is because I can't recall. And this was one of those instances where I'm just sitting there waiting to see if I you remember what it was. It? <laughs> and I wait and I fell for it. And I laughed I out loud when the, it got to it. In the theater, I went like, okay, no, like it actually <laughs> got me. Like I waited the whole time and it got me. Yep. This time I just skipped it because I knew uh, he was going to make me mad at the end. It made me, yeah, I, I laughed at myself. Um, in terms of big picture stuff, um, yeah, let's just stay big picture for a second because I got some more stuff. Yeah, I mean, so, and I know you're going to get to this. We talked a lot last week about how great Black Panther's villain was. And I got to say... Here we go. Vulture, you know I'm a vulture guy. You <laughs> vulture know I'm a vulture comes guy. comes in pretty dang close. Yes. And I mean, there are some scenes, especially on this watch, where I just think we get some of the best villain acting, okay, villain okay, okay, monologuing okay. ever. In the we can break down the actual scenes in a second because I really want right, to. Right, right, right. I have so much with this movie that I can't wait to get into. But on a big picture scale, wow, this villain is the opposite of all the things we complain about. Here's a guy that's not trying to take over the world, which is perfect. He's not using Spider-Man tech. In fact, he's trying to steal other tech, but it's right. not the opposite of Spider-Man. The genius of keeping this movie so small scale for a 15-year-old superhero is so good. Uh -huh. I never feel in this movie like, oh, yeah. oh gosh, where are the other Avengers? Or, oh gosh, like this was just a perfect villain for that kind of Spider-Man. Well, and what I love about what John Watts brought to this is that is a very new incarnation of the Vulture. Like, if we get, you know, again, going back to the 60s comics, one, I respect that he's going back again to the source material because I think Vulture shows up in Spider-Man number two, or, like, I, he's one of the very first villains we see. I mean, I think. Side I don't know, note, we are right up Robbie's alley with Spider-Man <laughs> comics, so just prepare yourself, listeners. This is, like, his scene right now. It, it is. This is <laughs> this is very much where I land. Um, but my point is, like, in the comics, it was almost kind of goofy because the Vulture is this, like, really old guy. I mean, you kind of get the sense from the video game, like what you were saying, Kyle. Yes, the video but game. <laughs> in the, like in the comics, he's literally just this old man that has figured out how to make a flying suit and just flies into banks and robs them. Like he really has no powers beyond just being able to fly, which like, you know, where we are in superhero world now is not all that much. Um, but so for them to take this kind of like cranky old man and make it into this really compelling kind of middle-aged, working-class, almost anti-hero at times, right. is genius. And I give a lot of credit to Michael Keaton for the way that he conveys that part. But I just, I, again, this is I'm always impressed when creators are able to kind of subvert expectations and take something and reinvent it in a really successful way. Sometimes I think it's one thing to reinvent something, but sometimes, and we can have another conversation about this in superhero movies in general, sometimes things are reinvented in a way that's not necessarily a positive step yeah. or not meaningful. But I think here it, it takes, again, kind of a B-class villain and makes him, like as we said in our villains episode, one of the best. Yes. Okay. I'll dive into the specific scenes in a second, but 
an example of where he's almost an anti-hero is after he confronts Peter and says, stay away from my daughter, there's a part of me that when he's in the dance, I'm like, just dance with her and just don't stop him. Just let him do his thing. There's a part of me, it's right. almost like, oh man, just don't mess with it, Peter. And that's where I'm like, wait a second. No, he is selling weapons. He's Peter probably should stop him. But for a right. second, I'm like, just leave him alone. He's not going to do anything that bad. I had um, the same thought whenever he, I'm just wanting him to get away with that one box, right? Yeah, Where right. I'm like, I just need one box, you know, to, to support his family. <laughs> right. Right. One more big picture thing. This is one of the funniest Marvel movies ever made. I have it for sure in yes, my top five. Yes. So we talked about this with Guardians. Maybe Ant-Man or Ant-Man and the Wasp would be in there too. But this, this is right up there um, with another right. one that we're going to talk about in a second. To me, this one... Ragnarok and Guardians are kind of one, two, three, somewhere in there. Oh, yeah. Um, but all I, really I, unique in their humor, which I appreciate. Such different humor because this movie just captures what it's like to be a 15-year-old in high school so well. Yeah. I mean, okay, so I'm just going to start diving into it. Like, the yeah. way he captures the high school feel with those, like, homemade videos and the yes. awkwardness of the two hosts right off the bat, it's right. so funny to me. Which I, I also love, you know, you were talking about Liz before, you know, like Liz Allen, Betty Brandt, these are also classic Spider-Man characters that way predate even Mary Jane. See, I didn't and know so, that till right now. So yeah, so so John Watts is pulling from the mythos in a way that, again, no other movies have really done so far. And that's why, like, I just, I'm, I'm just going to say it, Kyle. Are you ready? Yeah, okay. They nail, <laughs> they nail... Spider-Man, like no other adaptation ever has. Fight me on it. I'm just going to say it. So that's the thing is like, that's not controversial to me at all. The only reason I even know that's controversial is because of the stupid internet. I, I, I've i never <laughs> felt that that's untrue at all. Yeah. It's a perfect I mean, adaptation to me. Yeah. I, I Yeah. Especially for a comic fan. A lot of people have an affinity for the Toby movies, but I, I also feel like that's increasingly becoming nostalgia driven, if you know what I mean. Yes, of, of course. I mean, again, I don't want to compare this to that because no, 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 I'm not no, no, doing no. a podcast, you know, about the Sam Raimi Spider-Mans. I think for what it did at the time, some of the stuff was amazing. But one of the things that was always weird to me, even as a kid, was that Tobey Maguire is clearly like 32 years old trying to play like a just out of high school guy. And it just, that rubs. So this is like fully embracing the opposite. Like, let's just make him obviously feel young. I do want to take one second. I'm glad you said that because one thing we haven't mentioned on area, and this is not at all Spider-Man homecoming related, but you brought up Sam Raimi and we haven't talked about how Sam Raimi was recently hired to direct Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. I know. It's crazy. In a way, though, he's probably super qualified to do it. He yeah. did make some good Spider-Mans back in the day, and he's done some other horror stuff, right? So right. I think I'm I think it actually could be a good thing. I'm really excited because yeah, I feel like he kind of he he's shown that he knows how to straddle both worlds, and in a way, it kind of makes me confident that Marvel's trying to continue what Scott Derrickson's vision was. We obviously don't know exactly exactly what that was, but indicating that he wanted kind of a horror superhero movie. So if anyone's going to take that forward, Raimi seems like a good choice. Right. Also, Scott Derrickson tweeted that he was happy about that. That may just be PR, but he did. And sure. this is like total in the weeds, like just rumors. But Sam Raimi was supposed to appear at some kind of something, like a Comic-Con or something, and he canceled uh-huh. it because he was meeting with people from Doctor Strange 2 in London. And 
I was just happy to hear that because it seems like he's taking it seriously is my point. Right. So I do think he's going to give it, you know, his full go. I love that. I know that's not strictly related, but it, you know, it's tenuous enough that I thought that it was worth mentioning. But yeah, let me just jump to the very beginning of the movie because you know me, the listeners know me, was just <laughs> loving it right off the bat that the first thing they do is reference the Battle of New York. Yeah. There's guys, blue-collar workers having to clean up, and then the reference of like Tony Stark and damage control coming in and taking over, all of which to me is believable because here's the damage, the property damage people. Yeah. Okay, this is my big <laughs> screw you to the property damage people because here we are having to deal with the repercussions of the property damage. Yep. And what a great follow-up to Civil War in that regard. Like, I feel like we got the start of, of really exploring that issue on kind of a wide scale level in Civil War. And now I love that we're kind of seeing what that looks like on the ground. But one thing that I, I felt like we had to talk about, um, this movie, I agree with you, is virtually flawless. But it does have one admitted flaw, which is... I'm listening. The eight years later transition that takes us from the opening scene... Um, with with Michael Keaton to where he becomes the vulture. So that's saying the movie's actually in 2020? Right. So that's the problem. And John Watts apparently, like, you know, because for the longest time, and this will change now because of Avengers Endgame, but for the longest time, Mar- Marvel has been pretty serious about dating each movie in the year it was released, with some exceptions. Right. Um, in this case... You know, the Battle of New York was supposed to take place in 2012, which again is reaffirmed by the date we get in Endgame. This movie is supposed to take place in 2016, I believe, because it's right after Civil War. So that that should have only been four Four years later. later. But instead, why did they they do that? So John Watts has basically just admitted it was an error. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, so it's weird because you would think someone would have caught that. You think Feige would have caught something like that, but I think after the fact they had this conversation and I think basically yeah, the movie takes place 2 months after Civil War, so it's in 2016 and the we're just kind of supposed to disregard Man, the eight years. They're so tight with that usually. That's genuinely yeah. surprising to me. And what's weird is I didn't even think about it on this watch. I didn't jot that down. You're correct right. in everything you just said. It's it's off. But why didn't, you know, they always catch that stuff. Yeah, that I never thought about it either. Bit. The only weird thing about it, too, um, it kind of changes, like, if Liz is Toombs' only daughter that was supposed to have drawn that, that picture of the Avengers that it opens on. Oh, wow, she was horrible at drawing. <laughs> yeah, she would, have been, she would have been, you know, like 14 <laughs> when she drew yes. that. Yes. Um, oh, no. I'm just so putting this all together. We'll have to talk about this some more because I've seen some people talk about how some of the sort of time stuff that happens in Endgame could maybe affect this and how Marvel was sort of trying to tweak it some. I'm not sure how that would work, but I've seen No, some, no, no, no. I just I like saying articles, it was a mistake. So well, it was a mistake. That, that's how I feel better about it. Yeah. If you just yeah. tell me that, it's like, okay, well, they missed it. Um, is that also a little weird with the entire bit of moving the Avengers facilities? Because the upstate New York facilities have already been there, right? So what am I missing right. with that? Is it just so, that they're remodeling? That's the point? Yeah. So this is something that always bothered me because I felt the same way. I was like, well, we saw that move at the end of Age of Ultron. So that's like super old news by this point. But, and an Ant-Man. Um But this time I realized something that actually makes me really like that aspect of this plot. Because I realized that the end of Civil War, 
you know, which in this movie was about two months ago, we see Tony return to Avengers headquarters. And, you know, we talked about how at the end of Age of Ultron, Tony was stepping away from the Avengers entirely and kind of giving it all over to Cap. Then at the end of Civil War, there's a reverse where Cap's on the run and Tony's moved back into the headquarters. At the beginning of the movie, we don't know what's going on with Pepper. At the end, we find out they're back together. But my point is, Avengers headquarters has basically become like a stark thing. And so I think what we're seeing in this is, you know, like in Age of Ultron, we saw that Avengers Tower... Stark moving all this stuff. Yeah, like we saw Avengers Tower had all of these kind of Stark Industries elements as well, you know? And like at the end of Winter Soldier, we saw Maria Hill working within Stark and that stuff. So I think I actually... it, It feels like even more of a connection with Civil War. And again, you know, we always talk about winning Civil War to have like real world consequences. And I feel like it's Tony taking the Avengers headquarters from something that was run by Cap to something that's firmly run by Stark. And so he's he's bringing all of that stuff in. And, and that's what the remodel <laughs> is, I think. Woo! You know, I love that. <laughs> Everything you just said. And I noticed this time that they make a comment that this was remodeled. And right. I do think it actually does look different when I look compared it to the Ant-Man thing, for right. example. When they right. show up in Ant-Man, there is a whole new piece to it. <laughs> so, yes. Question <laughs> answered. Concern eased. And, and I also feel like it... it it makes me feel better too because I've always thought that it looks a little different in Infinity War when we see it in an endgame from the way that it was portrayed even in Civil War. Right. Okay, here's the next thing I want to jump to. We can talk about individual performances, but just Peter's crew, how they wrote the whole high school team. (laughs) So MJ, Ned, Flash, all those people... I love so much. I mean, the penis Parker thing makes me laugh. Flash makes me laugh. How he's like the cool kid, but he's not really cool. Like yes. his dad's car, all of that yeah. stuff. Like he's overcompensating. It's amazing. Ned is so funny. Like the awkward yeah. nerd kid. All of his lines make me laugh. Like I think I laughed out loud in this movie as much as I laugh out in Guardians yeah. or Thor Ragnarok. Like I was laughing to my wife at some of the things he says. The best line of the whole movie is when they catch him and he says, I was looking at porn like as if that's better like he's trying to come up with something there's just so many funny things oh ned Uh, but his whole crew and how zendaya plays well mj you know quote i'm doing quotes air quotes michelle it's so funny like that's that's my wife's sister like that is her like i know it's katie like i i know every everyone knows somebody from high school like this you know what i mean so on the ned front I totally agree. This time I was cracking up. The The line that, that randomly got me, and it happens really quick, is whenever Peter, Spider-Man, is trying to, to bust up the weapons deal and has left the party that he was going to show up to, and Ned's trying to call him. And he's, <laughs> I don't know what you're going to say. And he's just the like, The hat's not working. Peter, the hat's <laughs> not working. This is not cool. <laughs> yes. I like even before that when he says, thanks, the hat makes me feel confident. Right. He's like just smiling. <laughs> I, but I knew exactly what you were going to say. That caught me too this time. The hat's not working, Peter. It's not cool. It's not working. So the other, <laughs> you were just mentioning Flash. And Flash and Aunt May are both examples of this. And it's something else I really love when we're talking about the like classic and the modern blend. Both of those, again, are, are characters that showed up in The Amazing Spider-Man number one, basically. But Mm. Flash is totally reimagined because instead of being a 1960s (laughs) kind of jock, you know, where he's this like classic, you know, letterman jacket wearing like super brawny jerk. 
he's on the decathlon team, so he's smart. Yeah. <laughs> he's and he's not like it's not like he's this classically handsome buff guy. He is like still kind of no. a dork, but he's just less yeah. of a dork than Peter, you know. And then yeah. <laughs> I love Ant Man. Well, he acts like he is at least. Right, right, right. Well, and before hold on, before you get to Ant Man, I also want to say that's one of my favorite things about Far From Home is that Flash secretly is obsessed with Spider Man. Yes, which knowing. is another thing from the comics. <laughs> oh, really? I didn't yeah. know that. So that's but, another thing where, yeah, like Flash Thompson with Spider Man, he literally starts the Spider Man fan club. So it was this kind of push and pull of he's bullying Peter, but he's obsessed with Spider-Man. I love that first when Spider-Man jumps in and he goes, I need your car. He goes, oh, excuse me, sir. I want to, but it's my dad's. Like, and then right away, and then the next scene is Peter driving it away. Right. So good. And I hurt so much when he flips that car over and it's like getting scratched. Um, also on the decathlon team, Peter's teacher is so funny. He makes me yes. laugh out loud every time when he says... No, Flash goes, he's not welcome back. He can't just walk back here. And then the very next line is, hey, welcome back, Peter, <laughs> to his teacher. And the best line of the whole movie maybe is when he says, I can't lose another student. Yes. Not, not again. It's <laughs> real so, sad on the video. One, I think that's Martin Starr um, playing the teacher. He is just hilarious to me. I don't know if you've ever watched Silicon Valley on HBO, Mm-mm. but that that show is hilarious. He's, I think, the funniest character in that show. But the other thing that I love about including him in this movie is, like I said, John Watts is obviously going for this kind of classic, nostalgic, high school 80s feel. And so I love that he brings in Martin Starr, whose first role was in Freaks and Geeks. And so it kind Amazing. of plays into that vibe. But I was also going to say, I totally agree with his character. It's hilarious. The Aunt May thing I did want to spend a little bit of time on because absolutely I'm in <laughs> like that is something that like I as a Spider-Man nerd have experienced so many incarnations of Spider-Man including what we'll talk about this week in the recommended reading and and what this movie is largely based on is this run from the 2000s called Ultimate Spider-Man where Spider-Man was kind of modernized and reinvented but even in that no one has ever thought to make Aunt May young and hot yeah, the last two iterations of Aunt May, I mean, in one of them, she's like 90. Yeah, yeah. Legit. So it's it was really shocking the first time, but it just makes me laugh so hard. To, like, it, yeah. I think I think the humor in that is that we have that expectation of Aunt right. May being, that's what's funny about it. If, they, if we didn't know anything about it, it would just be another person. Right, but it's so, because it's we're so predisposed, almost. Yeah, it's so meta. We're so predisposed to thinking she's old and like has lost her husband. Right. So like, it's so funny. And that scene when Tony's there and they're almost like improving, it feels right. like because he's having to lie about the story. And right. All of that, like, is it is it funded? Yeah, I mean, look who's look who you're talking to. It's pretty well funded. <laughs> oh, okay, you're doing great. Why didn't you tell me about it? Because you know, and they're like all that stuff. Well, and even oh, when he's great. when he's in the car bringing Peter back, and he's doing the video to Aunt Man, he's like, "Hey, <laughs> yes. man, what you wearing? Something skimpy? I hope." Oh, just <laughs> oh, I can't say that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like it creates this whole new dynamic that again is I think like on paper I probably would have been really nervous about. But the execution is so great. And Marisa Tomei is also just a legend. I love her so much. Absolutely. How do you feel about Spider-Man wanting to hide his identity? Because I know that's been a thing for Spider-Man from day one, right? So like in this movie, it's kind of a big deal, but then they play on it pretty quickly where Aunt May finds out at the end of this movie and then not to talk about Far From Home, but it's going to be a thing where like they work together. And interesting enough too, in the video game, Mary Jane knows who you are right away and helps you right. 
right away from the beginning. So my point right, is, it's right. always been a thing, a fight. You hide your identity or not. And we've talked about how Marvel emphasizes not hiding identities. Yep. So how well do you think it's done in this film? I'm so glad you brought that up because uh, this is something I thought about specifically on this watch. We did talk about how Kevin Feige made the intentional choice to not have secret identities in the MCU. And he's pretty much stuck with that up until this film in our rewatch. And to me, the genius of that is it was revolutionary at the time to not have secret identities, right? And now we're very much used to that in the MCU. So now to have a character that does have it goes from being like the stereotype to being revolutionary all over again. No, because again, again, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, pause, coming up for the future. That was, again, like when his identity is revealed at the end of Far From Home, it was shocking to me again. Right, So it's gone all the way from that wouldn't have been shocking to now it's back to being shocking again because of how they do it in the MCU. And that's what I think is so interesting about about sticking with the kind of Spider-Man secret identity thing here and the way they do is it adds a layer to this movie that if you think about it is not present anywhere else in the MCU, like before or after, like we, even with something like Ant-Man, you know, he's discovered, you know, one, it's not something that he's really trying to hide his identity as much as he's just trying to like avoid the cops. But then, you know, by the time we're into Ant-Man and the Wasp, it's well known that he's the one that's been wearing the Ant-Man suit. Like that's not really a factor even there. And then all the way to people like, you know, Thor and Doctor Strange, where like that's not even consideration at all. So I think, it's interesting that we have to see Peter in high school trying to balance all this stuff. And again, that's like a classic Spider-Man thing is he looks sort of lame and never lives up to his personal responsibilities because he's always having to run off and be Spider-Man. And I think they do that really well. That said, I'm really excited to talk about this in Far From Home because one element of the classic Spider-Man mythos that is not present here or really in any Spider-Man appearance in the MCU until Far From Home is the fact that he's feared and hated. He's he's considered a menace and J.J. Jonah Jameson is kind of turning the city against him. And there's always this thing where Spider-Man's doing his best and, and he's like just the like- video the video game, yes, right, yes. Right. <laughs> he's the best person, but everyone thinks he's a criminal and cops are trying to arrest him. And so we'll talk about that down the road, but I love too that that's something else that the MCU has tried to bring in. There's an opportunity there in the future to mess with Absolutely. that if they want Absolutely. to. Um, oh, I love so much of it. There's more things. Okay, first of all, just how funny is Vulture's sidekick? The, the very first line of the yes. movie is, it's like when I used to draw cowboys and Indians, he's like, oh, it's Native Americans, but whatever. <laughs> that guy is so funny to me. He Remember is Remember when he's like, do you finally have the high altitude vacuum seal? <gasps> Are you serious? <laughs> He's been wanting to do that the whole time. My favorite I, of his lines is I love the, that they're like evil lair is kind of still lighthearted. Like they're not yeah. taking over the world, you know? I love I love that he's like, boss, your your wife's calling. She's asking about the hot water heater. And he's like, I told you never to look at my phone. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. You left it open. You know, I'm curious by nature. You know, I'm curious by nature. What do you expect? <laughs> <laughs> I love it so much. Okay. Then we referenced this earlier, but I think this movie has more references to the other MCU movies than any movie ever. And help me with some of this because where it gets even more fun is some of them are funny, some of them are quick, and some of them are serious. So we've already talked about like 
the seriousness of the Battle of New York. That's obviously massive and the tech, right? But I just started jotting these down, right? Captain America making his cameo. Obviously, right. Tony making his cameo. Right. All the references to the Avengers. How about oh, when they're breaking into the bank? Like you said, and he goes, he's making the jokes about the Avengers. Um, right. How about the joke of Flash saying, and I'm dating Black Widow, when he doesn't believe right. that he actually knows Tony Stark. Do the Avengers pay taxes? That's a question mark they ask. <laughs> but then, how about the Ultron head they find? Yes, for I have a that down, yeah. And then how about that they, again, are debating the Sokovia Accords in school? They're yep. teaching them the Sokovia Accords as if it's like normal life. Give me some more because there were so oh, many. Yeah, you know, I've even gotten more. I love the whenever Cap shows up in the gym class. Pretty sure this guy's a war criminal now. <laughs> yes, that's one of the best lines. And he's standing on the wrong side, the gym right, teacher. Right. <laughs> yeah. My friend, your gym yeah. teacher. <laughs> and then uh, if Cap, you know, Tony tells Peter if Cap wanted to lay you out, he would have. That's one of my favorite lines in the whole movie, by the I way. I love that. Yep. Um, because you know I love power levels, yes. so I love that Tony's clarifying. <laughs> no, but he's even clarifying to the yeah. viewer, like, okay, if he wanted to get you you know, yeah, down, he yeah. could do it. I knew you would like that. Uh, it's also I'm, such a good conversation, actually, on Civil War, by the way, because that fight, we talked about how it's not that oh, they're not trying to kill yeah, each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So That's it's kind a of an point. interesting take on, like, even Tony Stark knew I wasn't there to kill him. Cap's not right. there to kill you, Peter. Anyway, keep going. Well, and that's actually something that I don't, I don't think we talked about in the Civil War movie because we talked about a thousand other things. I really like the way the fight between Cap and Spider-Man was conceived there because if you think about it, the way that he winds up ending the fight is just by collapsing that thing above Spider-Man's head. So he basically has to catch yep. it and he has to stop yep. fighting. So Cap doesn't even really hurt him. Because it's like that's out right. of Cap's character. He just sort of takes him out and of the fight. And he compliments him on the way out, Right, obviously. right. So it's like such a great kind of lighthearted way for him to deal with him without having to do anything to injure him. Um, right. There's no there's no world that Cap would want to injure Spider-Man right. in that case. Why? Right. There's no reason why. And so, but one thing that, uh, <laughs> one thing I noticed this time, I don't know if you watched the deleted scenes on this one. I didn't. Oh, I have been doing I, that though. What's wrong with me? So I've done it on some. There, a lot of times I feel like they're deleted for a reason. This movie, the deleted scenes are really like especially strong. So I would recommend anyone that has this on Blu-ray to okay. go watch because most of them I could totally see having been in the movie. I mean, I think it maybe flows better. The time cut is always good, but like they they add some fun stuff. And one that I cracked up at is whenever they're going into the academic decathlon. And they pass the Triskelion cleanup, which, you know, we see we get a shout out to in the in the theater cut of the film because you see like a sign and they talk about it because that's what they're trying to steal from. They're trying to steal from the Triskelion cleanup whenever Spider-Man gets caught in that lockup facility in Maryland. Oh, like the vault. Right, right, right. Yeah. But we get this uh, straight up conversation and it really it kind of foreshadows the way that you see MJ talking a lot in Far From Home. But as they're driving by, Ned's like, what is that? And Peter's like, oh, they're still cleaning up from the Triskelion thing. And Ned was like, what happened or something like that? And MJ comes up behind and she's like, oh, yeah, that's when Captain America shot a bunch of helicarriers out of the sky for no reason. Oh, I did see that one. There's a listener on Instagram who sent that to oh, me. Oh, no way. Okay, but it's, it's, it's so great because Peter's like, I thought Captain America was doing that to protect us from tyranny. And MJ's like, that's what he wants you to think. <laughs> <laughs> right. So fitting for her character. Just So that's, a, yeah, another a Winter Soldier shout out. So it's like we... It really is. You're right. There are a ton of MCU shout outs that are all really great. And 
There are also a bunch of Spidey shout-outs, which I love, and not even just the ones that we've talked about in terms of the cast of characters, which is still great. Yes, hold on. So it's it's Mizzle22 who sent that thing, so shout-out to him. Oh, nice. And yes, I wrote that down too. Like, the shout-out to other Spider-Man lore specifically. How about when yep. Karen says, kiss her, Peter? How yes. funny is that? When, it's like when he's hanging down. upside yep. down? Yes. And how about Spider-Man holding the boat together and that shot of him having to like stretch his arms out and pull really hard to keep the boat together? Again, so similar to like the train right. scene, the famous train scene, yeah. I love, and, and I even love the way that we're getting these setups, maybe, or maybe they're just shout-outs to classic Spider-Man villains, you know, like that may lead to something in the future or may not, but in ways that like you're probably not even aware of. But for instance, like Vulture's right-hand guy you were talking about that's so funny, is Phineas Mason, who is one of the first Spider-Man villains called the Tinkerer, who nope, becomes this guy this. that just like builds kind of supervillain technology, which makes sense based on the way he is in this movie. Um, we obviously have the Shocker, who, you know, his costume in the yes. comics is he has this kind of full yellow and brown like quilted suit, and we kind of get a reference to that in the jacket that both of the Shockers wear in this. Mm. Uh, we get, I know him from the video game. Oh, right, right. That's right. And then Scorpion, who I think you would also know from the video game. Yes, We I get would. that reference with Matt Gargan. So it's like stuff like that that just, it feels so natural, though. Like we talked about how in the same way that they introduce Claw really effectively without kind of like yeah. rubbing it in your face, <laughs> I feel like they do that here, too. <laughs> it's so effective. <laughs> it's never not effective. I can't believe it. Um, I, I'm, oh, and one more in terms of just my Spider-Man nerdiness. One of the most iconic old school Spider-Man visuals is whenever it would be a shot of Peter Parker and half of his face is the Spider-Man mask. And that's obviously not something that's really easy to replicate in the movies because it's just kind of a visual. Normally it was to show that he's somewhere in public as Peter Parker and his spider sense is going off or something. But I love that we even get a shout out to that. We talked about how that scene at the end of this movie when he's lifting all the rubble is this shout out to Amazing Spider-Man 33, which is maybe the most famous old school Spider-Man scene. But even before that, when he looks down into the water and you see half the mask and then you see half his face in the reflection, so they're even giving us that image. And it is just... It's so great. You know how we talked about the Rousseau brothers campaign slogan was everything matters. Right. Hashtag everything matters. John Watts is like all the spidey details. Hashtag. Well, and, and <laughs> it's I just, just, I love it so much. We started this podcast talking about how you and I come from such different perspectives on this stuff. And I think probably nowhere more so than this movie, particularly based on how much of a diehard fan I am and how little you kind of know about greater Spider-Man stuff. But what I think is so crazy is that John Watts managed to write this love letter movie to both of us. <laughs> it's oh. like just as effective for both of us as viewers. And I don't know, like I, that is a crazy feat to me. Okay, absolutely. And now I'm going to blow your mind. I've been hoping so badly that you don't know what I'm about to say. And so I'm hoping to educate you. My oh, wife man. pointed this out to me and I never caught this until this time watching it. So shout out to my wife, Anna Cascona Will, for pointing this out. Did you catch that the principal is the same actor from Captain America 1, the guy who says, I'm from Fresno, Ace? And no, listen to this. Hold on. I have chills. Listen is. to this, though. Listen. Yes, it's the same actor. And they said it's actually his grandson. So Captain America 1 is his granddad. And in his principal's office, there's a memorial shot of himself wearing like the Captain America 1 garb as no if like way. that was his grandfather and he's proud of it and he died. 
Isn't that incredible? I never caught That's that. I had awesome. to confirm that it was the actual same person. I just thought that was fun. That yeah, I never caught that. I love that. They're I'm gonna both have to from go back New York, that right? Now. Like it makes sense. Yeah, it's so fun. So what I yes, thought, I blew your mind. Yes, you it did. Worked. You did, and oh, I love oh. it. And I mean, I don't know if there's a better. If, I don't know if you can find a more Robbie thing than connecting Captain America the First Avenger. <laughs> That's so true. Coming. But like if that had I, been from Iron Man two, you'd been like whatever. <laughs> right. What I thought you were gonna say was and actually i'm glad you said iron man too because that's something else we should talk about in a bit um but wait what, what? i thought How? you were okay. gonna say going. was another spidey shout out that i had missed a second ago which is donald glover's character in this movie nope i don't even know what you're talking about oh man okay so you're about to blow my mind now <laughs> <laughs> so have you have you seen into the spider-verse Okay, okay. And you've played the Spider-Man video game, so you're fairly familiar with Miles Morales. Yes. So Donald Glover, you may or may not know, several years ago, I think it was whenever the Andrew Garfield movies were about to come out, there was this big online push to make him the next Spider-Man. And it was like this, people were way behind it, and the repercussions are still being felt. And that's why Donald Glover showed up in this movie as kind of like an homage to that. But one, his character in this is hilarious to me. Yes. And I like, I love, there's another deleted scene that's just an extended scene of him standing by his car, webbed to it. And it's Ugh. also worth watching because it's My wife just and really I laugh funny. every time at that. No, 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 no. I got ice cream in here. I got yeah. ice cream in here. <laughs> <laughs> I love the, uh, <laughs> I love that. Hey, I know what a girl sounds like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're, you've never done this before, have you? You're not very good at it. And I love how on the way out, he says, you have to get better at this part of this job, okay? <laughs> right. Oh, and I think his favorite line is the first time we see him in that scene under the bridge where he's like, I'm not trying to shoot him back in time. Yeah, yes, that is the best <laughs> line. I'm not to, yes, I just want to hold some people up, dude. <laughs> and anyway, but there's a line. Um, well, one, the character's name is Aaron. We see that whenever Spider-Man has Karen look him up. And then there's a there's a line where he tells him, yeah, you know, like, I don't want these weapons in this neighborhood. I got a nephew that lives here, which is oh totally a Miles goodness. Morales setup. Is it really? Be- it, because it's Miles' uncle Aaron, who in the comics and, you know, in Into the Spider-Verse is a criminal. And so whether that's, again, whether that's just chills. a shout out or a setup, but that means that technically Miles Morales does, in fact, exist within the MCU. There's so much they could do with Spider-Man 3 bro, than almost any other film in this MCU still oh, going totally. forward. Oh, um, totally. That makes me so happy. There's so much possibility. Um, okay, now we get to the best thing ever. My two favorite parts of this film, and I'm going to spend time on each one. Let's first okay. just talk about one of the greatest MCU scenes, I think, in the entire thing. The arrival of Peter at Adrian Toomes's house and the shock that that was for my theater, for me, I still have chills thinking about it. I never in my wildest dreams saw that coming, that that was going to be Liz's dad. Just pure genius to do that. My entire theater gasped. (gasps) And then the tension and the awkwardness that is created from that moment and then into my favorite scene, which is the car ride. And there's almost no action. And yet I am so tense. Somehow this movie creates 
this tension and this kind of stakes without there ever really being big stakes. I don't know if that yes. makes sense. Like I'm so bought in that this is awful what's happening. And right. there's other visual cues in that scene. They're so genius how they're just showing his eyes in the rear view mirror. And yes, there's one scene too, where he's at the stoplight and it just shows the light turn green and you just see the reflection of his smile and his face is lit up green and it looks like yeah. the vulture. And it's yeah. like, it's so freaking good. And then that scene. Oh, yes. In that scene, I jotted down the actual way it went down because I remember when I was in the theater the first time and still confirmed it on this viewing that how Adrian puts it all together that he's talking to Spider-Man yes. is so natural. It's never yep. forced. I feel like that could could have been a scene where they would have written Liz's character to just like kind of spoil it somehow mm -hmm. and it would have been kind of lame. But the progression where he says like, you, oh, he has, an inter he has an internship with Tony Stark. Then it's something right. like, oh, he gets to hang out with Spider-Man. Oh, you know, Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, then they talk about how he's at the decathlon. Well, then he's putting together, wait, Spider-Man yep. was at the decathlon. Then he says, oh, you, you left the party right away. You were totally not there. You disappeared. Just like you did in DC. I have chills right now. Yep. And none of that is like inappropriate for her to say. No. But yet it's perfect where Peter's like, oh my gosh, please stop talking. And he is asking questions that are perfect. It just, yeah. oh my, it's literally, I'm freaking out because it's literally, Robbie, maybe one of my favorite scenes in the entire thing. No, I totally agree. And I had the same experience watching this time because normally you would have this kind of dramatic, oh gosh, like he somehow found out his secret, you know, or saw him without his mask on. But you're right. It's such a, it's such a believable moment. I still have here. chills. When he says, hey, Buttercup, why don't you go inside? And then he just turns around with the gun. Does she know? Does she know? And then goes like, don't you ever? And like goes on that whole speech. I have chills, dude. Yep. It's so intense. You know what's I'll so intense you. too? I'll kill everyone you love. And then he says, now it's like, it's such an abusive relationship, you know? Cause then he says, now go inside and have a good time, but not too good of a time. Like it's just well, very and the controlling. last thing he says is he's like, and what do you say? What do you say? Yes. I saved your life. Yes. Thank, thank you. you. Th that's such an abusive Gosh. thing to say. Like now yeah. you make me, you know, thank me that I saved your life because I didn't kill you right now. Well, and it's such a perfect against a perfect villain relationship to this 15-year-old hero. And like that's what I mean. It's it's like every aspect of it plays into, you know, what I feel like a 15-year-old superhero's life would be like, you know? I know. And I, I feel bad for Liz in all of this. I always feel so bad when she has to move yeah. at the end and oh, Peter can't man. even really apologize. He doesn't even know what he's really apologizing for until the end. And she just gets screwed a lot in this. Like, he disappears yeah. on her a lot. Uh, just, yeah, that tension, though. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and like you said, the, the twist in that scene, I think. I can't think of another twist in the MCU that is as big as that one. Well, yep. That's maybe one of the biggest twists ever. I mean, maybe up there with Thanos actually snapping his fingers. That I, For sure. me, as a viewer. But, yeah, like, when this happened, like I said, but right. you just never predict it. You right. just never see it coming. And yet, when it actually happens, it's so natural and it works so well. Right. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, I just can, didn't expect it at all in the theater. So, I just ranted. But can I rant on my other favorite thing about this movie? Because you know yes, me. Yes, please. You could probably guess what I'm going to say. What's my other favorite thing in this film? Tony Stark. Yes. <laughs> I, just, I put my notes down because I'm going here. For me, I get that some people feel partial to Uncle Ben. Okay, so I'm not trying to belittle your opinion of Spider-Man. But to me, now that Spider-Man exists in the MCU, this is literally perfect. On this viewing, I caught even more than ever that Tony Stark views him as his son. 
This is not. Dude, yes, like, I'm so glad you're saying this. Well, and I never thought that the first time I saw it. I thought, okay, he's kind of like a, par- a parental figure. But this sure. gives more credence to the scene in Endgame where he has like a picture framed of him that he's like yes. holding. Like, and he says things like, I lost the kid. Like it almost as if like, this is the son he never had. And so I think maybe the best Tony Stark we ever get is that scene when he comes out of the suit. And he, and he yeah. says, you know, if you were even, if you even cared, you'd be here. And then he comes out and says the thing. And then I get, get a line from Tony Stark that's on par with, with great power comes great responsibility. Yes. I get the line of, if you're nothing without the suit, then you shouldn't have it. Gosh. Which and, again, it winds up. And, and what, what I love is at the end. But that's end, Tony speaking about himself, basically. Oh, no, he totally. had to learn that he was nothing without the suit. Yes. And which takes us back to Iron Man 3, which I love. He also has this line at the end where he says, um, you know, kind of joking, like, you know, sorry if I was hard on you, but, you know, it was probably good, right? It sort of motivated you, yeah, you know, to, to make the decision you need to. <laughs> but, but it totally did, right? Because in that moment when he's yeah, having right. to lift all the rubble, you know, it's this Tony line that's going through his head. But the line that I loved from that scene you're talking about, that, I, again, I don't think it ever stood out to me in the same way as it did this time, is... Peter says, I just wanted to be like you. And Tony says, oh. and I wanted you to be better. Oh, yes! <sighs> Robbie, this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> Dude, those two things for me, I always liked this movie, but I didn't realize how much... I mean, this movie took a huge step up in light of Endgame because that relationship feels even more natural. Like, their on-screen chemistry is remarkable. Yeah, it's it really is. And for me, again, just the twist of instead of Peter getting all that from Uncle Ben, he's getting that from Tony Stark. Well, in the fact, I mean, you're right. That scene between Tony and Peter, among others, but that one especially, is I think where the relationship really hits its stride because Tony actually vocalizes that he sees himself as a father figure here because he references, you know, several times in the movie, actually. You know, yeah, my, my dad, father never, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then in that final scene, he's like, gosh, I sound like my father. I mean, it is like, it's such a, and, and that's what, like, in Endgame, spoiler alert, in Endgame, it really brings home this tension that he feels between, okay, here is my actual daughter, that am I risking her by going back in time and doing this stuff in order to get, in order to try to save this kid that I feel like is my son? Yeah. And it's, it's like so intense. Yeah. Yes, it's so good. The I love the pause we do after we say spoiler alert. It's one of my favorite things we do. <laughs> spoiler alert, pause. Um, <laughs> but I get it. We got to give them time to hit pause. What if they're jogging? They're like, no, quick, get to it. Get to it, hit pause really quick. <laughs> um, I love it. I haven't said anything negative about the film. This has almost been more fun for me, Robbie, than any other episode we've done. And I would not have thought that ahead of time. But for some reason, this viewing took this movie through the roof for me. Like all the Spider-Man stuff we're talking about, the, the shout outs to other Spider-Man lore, the shout outs to how he fits in the MCU, all of that stuff. But then I get this incredible villain that I'm so drawn to and all the right. fatherly Tony Stark things. Like just to sum that all up, I couldn't be more in. And I just remembered one other reference I had to give you. It's tiny, has nothing to do with anything. I love when yeah. Happy says, vision's not big on doors. <laughs> yes. <laughs> kind of like a civil war shout out joke. Love which it. which I also I also kind of love that that shows the like that's really the only peak we get into what Avengers HQ looks like between Civil War and Infinity War. So we know yes. that Vision and Tony and Happy like they're operating out of this 
place, you know, during them. And we know Rhodey, once we get to Infinity Wars there. So it's, it's just, every time we get yes. pieces of that puzzle filled in. I'm glad you said that because I thought we were wrapping it up, but I have to say one more thing. Yeah, yeah. I, my heart is never as full as it is for that last 10 minutes of the movie. Right. When Tony takes Peter to the Avengers facility, oh, even before that, when he meets Happy in the bathroom, it's funny. By the way, that same kid is right. <laughs> the chess earlier. Anyways, I'm going all over the place. And then I get to see Pepper, which you know is my scene. And that chemistry which ta- with, again, the, chemistry about with the four of them is so perfect. And the well, Iron and Spider remember- suit looks so cool. And my theater lost their mind when he yes. was doing that. And then the, the whole joke about like, well, he actually did like the good thing. We didn't, to- I totally didn't see it coming. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? With Pepper and that right. chemistry in the ring. And that was a twist because they're broken up and oh, it's all perfect. Well, and you have to think too, let's talk about Pepper and Gwyneth Paltrow because this is where this whole universe began with Robert Downey Jr. and Gwyneth Paltrow, right? And you've talked so much about how great Pepperoni is. We had (laughs) Iron Man in 2008. We had Iron Man 2 in 2010. We had her in The Avengers. We had her in Iron Man 3. So we had a ton of Gwyneth Paltrow, and it was kind of vintage MCU. And then we had none from 2013 until here. But there there was all this conversation going on because at that point, like, Gwyneth Paltrow in some ways has sort of moved out of acting as her primary focus and is doing more of her lifestyle brand stuff. And so there were a lot of questions about whether she was just never coming back to the MCU. And so again, talking about twists, that moment when she walks through the door at the end of Spider-Man Homecoming made me so happy because it felt like it was such this like great return to this golden age of the MCU. And then it's like, obviously she has a big part moving forward from there. But uh, it just made my heart feel so good. I, um, spoiler alert again here. More pause. <laughs> spoiler <laughs> alert again. It also just sets up how Peter Parker's going to fit going forward so well. You know, it kind of, the play of him turning down the chance to be in the Avengers, whereas the whole for the whole movie, all he wanted to do was be an Avenger, right? Right. Then right. he turns it down because it's the right thing to do. But it makes that moment in Infinity War even cooler to me now when he does say, okay, well now you are an Avenger. And it's, it is a perfect like linear step of how Peter Parker could potentially take that mantle going forward. No, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that, and happy, I can't underrate happy oh, because yeah, so he's true, again yeah. going to play even a bigger role going forward and it still fits. Oh yeah. I am, huge, I'm just, I'm actually thankful he home. didn't die in Iron Man right, 3 now right, because right. I can't point out everything because I tried to with Ned and MJ, all these things I love. But another thing I love is Happy's funny. There's so many funny lines from Happy, how he's like insecure about his job a little bit. Like he wants to make sure Spider-Man knows he's below him. (laughs) Right. I love how there's the continuation of, I mean, again, the last time we saw him was Iron Man 3, I guess. And in that, you know, there's a joke about, you know, you're always off running around with the super friends now. Yes. Kind of, you know, and he's basically starting out as Tony Stark's bodyguard. And then trying to figure out what his life looks like now that Tony Stark obviously doesn't need a bodyguard. And I just, I love this kind of journey that we're seeing. And it's funny, but you also kind of, you know, you're you're rooting for him. The empathy that Tony gives him. Tony never belittles him. He yeah. like actually takes Spider-Man's yeah. side and says like, don't bother happy. He gets stressed easily. Like he, right. he's like, yeah, he's like looking out for him too. It's so good. So as long as we're talking about Iron Man, I know we're trying to wrap up, but there are three, there are three things I want to say real quick. <laughs> I just got seven more things and then we'll be done. <laughs> One, um, I, I, you talked about Iron Man 2 earlier, jokingly. Do you know the, the whole Iron Man 2 connection with Tom Holland's Spider-Man? No. 
please enlighten so me. So this is another one of those, like sort of like what we talked about with the actress that plays Peter Quill's mom being in uh, Captain America 1. Yes. Where, you know, after the fact, James Gunn's like, sure, you know, that's her grandma. So there was this like fan theory for a while that, you know, in Iron Man 2, when Tony saves the one kid that's wearing the Iron Man mask. Oh, and holding gosh, up yes, the I've heard this. Thing. I have heard this. Yep. Keep so going. I don't care that much one way or the other, but I just think it's worth saying Kevin Feige has made a point of saying, you know what? Yeah, that's for that. It's canon. That's Peter Parker. Whether yeah, or not we want right. to accept that, I think it's kind of funny that he that he made the decision to include that. He did like come out and say that like forcefully, <laughs> which is right, funny. Right. <laughs> um, also, I just want to say I know we are concerned about wrapping up, but here's the thing, Robbie. At this point, if people are still listening, they don't care if we keep going. So I'm <laughs> I'm enjoying true. this. Are you enjoying this? This is as fun as it's been for oh, me in a while. I, I, this is my dream. I so love this. you keep going with the other points and don't worry about it. <laughs> the so okay great so. We I, actually, I have four Iron Man points, so I'm glad. You said that. <laughs> oh no, maybe I just opened something I didn't need to open. <laughs> so um, one something that that I was thinking about is the connections between the first Iron Man movie and this first Spider Man movie, and how in some ways they're really similar, but then have like some very prominent differences to where you can tell that it's kind of a shout out to the former, but taking such a different spin. And so, like for instance. It's so cool the first time we see Tony put on the Iron Man suit, right? Like, you know that you, you mm. can immediately visualize the scene I'm thinking about. The music is this like kind of cool hard rock, and he looks like such a badass. Yep, parallel that Contro- too, yeah. With the first time when Spider-Man puts on the suit, and it's all baggy, and he's kind of like tripping over his shoes, trying to get it on, standing yep. in the alleyway. Also, but when, just he, practic- when he pushes the deflating thing, it looks so cool. Right, right, for right. For the first time. It's like an... Oh, that's true. But like, instead of it being super cool and slick, the process is like very awkward For and sure. clumsy. And also, just on a practical level, there's no way he would wear boxers under that costume. Come on, yeah. we know how this works. I've worn skinny jeans for long enough. There's just no way. Also, I've always wondered about the practical level of getting on the suit in general. Every movie I've ever seen, I'm always like, they get it on so quickly, but it seems like it wouldn't be that easy to quick throw on. <laughs> so it is kind right, of funny right. to watch him awkwardly do it. And I'm yeah, with you. I, There's yeah, no I, boxes under there. Right. And I love the way they they visualize that here. Because, again, that's something I've never seen as the Spider-Man suit. Um, again, another Iron Man thing. I think we brought this up a long time ago. But talking about kind of this being a love letter to comics fans. And I was talking about that Ultimate Spider-Man series earlier that came out in the 2000s. The Iron Man suit that Tony wears here, which we don't see him wear in any other movie is unique in that like the bottom half is basically silver, if you know what I'm talking about. Yes, it's cool too, by the way. Super cool. Yeah, it is. And that's a shout out to the ultimate version of the Iron Man suit oh, yeah. that was from the 2000s, which is kind of paying homage to the fact that this movie is based on that incarnation of Spider-Man. Again, it's just a little thing that nobody was like, oh yeah, you should definitely make it be that kind of sp- Iron Man suit, and I just love that someone decided that that's the direction they they should go. I do too, but also it just looks really cool. It's one of the coolest looking ones, I think, that he's ever made. Agreed. Agreed. Finally, in terms of Iron Man things, I love that Karen, 
one, I just love Karen in general. I think it's like a, a hilarious character and such yes, a fun. I think kind I know of, what you're going to say. It's such a fun take on like what we saw in terms of Tony and Jarvis's relationship. Like, I love how it's kind of similar, but again, like a totally unique thing in the way she talks with Peter. But Karen is voiced by Jennifer Connelly. Yes, insane. I know this. Who happens to be married to Paul Bettany, Vision. who voiced Jarvis. And then, of course, Vision. Yeah. She's literally it's married so to Vision, and she's in this movie being the voice, just like Jarvis. That is such a yeah. meta cool thing. Do you think they intentionally so did that? Oh, I don't even care. You know what? I don't, don't even answer that. I don't care right. if they intentionally did it or not. <laughs> it's so fun for us to believe in. Yeah, no, I, I, that was something that I didn't know initially, but uh, whenever I saw that, it just, it, yeah, it makes me happy. Okay, we're about to wrap this up, but I have a massive thought to end on. I haven't said a single yeah. negative thing about this movie, and I still don't feel a negative thing about this movie, but I have to say, I have a big picture Spider-Man, I guess, question slash concern, which is, Spider-Man in this movie is obviously very young. Tom Holland plays it as very awkward and like, how to breath and like, I just, do you, do you, do you like me? You know what I'm saying? He plays right. it like that and it's perfect. I love it. And then in Far From Home, and again, we'll talk about that later. So spoiler alert again, but they definitely play the plot as Spider-Man's having to grow up a little bit. Like, can you grow up? Now here's my thought is like, what makes this movie so fun, follow me on this, is the charm of Tom uh -huh. Holland playing it young. Can Tom Holland play an older, less awkward, more mature version of Spider-Man? Will we ever buy in that he's a total badass or will it always have to have this awkward charm? And then if, if not, if he's not going to play it ever as like badass or like Iron Man vibe, is that okay maybe? Can, can Spider-Man always stay the like young hmm. feeling quippy person? Do you get what I'm saying? I I totally get what you're saying. I, like the way he, he, the way Tom Holland plays Spider-Man is very different than the other Spider-Man iterations we've had. Sure. Right? As far as not even just quippy, but awkward, like uncomfortable. Right. What does a grown up version of that look like? Now here's one last thing for any Stranger Things fans out there. That's a little bit how I feel about when Stranger Things 1 came out. It was the kids right. were at a really fun young age. And that's what made it so fun. For season 2 and 3, they kept growing up. And it was still good, by the way. But it gets right. a little less like charming when they're, they're in middle school versus like kids' kids. Sure. So the show lost a little bit of its charm. That's my point is, will Spider-Man lose a little bit of its fun if Tom Holland doesn't play it like this? But will it ever feel real enough if he doesn't grow up? So, one, I think that's a great question. I, I think that they can navigate that well in just writing, writing him to gradually mature. And the reason I say that is because I feel like we got a slightly more mature version of him, or at least slightly more confident in Far From Home than we did in Homecoming. And secondly, we had some, some I, would, I would say, kind of badass Spider-Man moments in Far From Home. We in absolutely the way that we see him fighting him. there at the end. Well, I think that's the point of, again, at this point, you're, everything's being spoiled for you. But that's, again, the point of him saying, I'm going to kick his ass and then making that suit. Right. And I think, like, you know, that post credit scene with him swinging with MJ? Right. Like, I think he's a little less awkward there. But you understand right. my concern for that balance. No, and that's why I'm also really happy that we're going to have John Watts continue with this character because I, I feel like he's started him, like 
as much as I also love what the Russo brothers and Marcus McFeely have done in the movies that they've had with Spider-Man, I, I feel like John Watts has this very sort of particular arc that he's trying to execute. And it makes me really as excited for the third Spider-Man movie as I am or have been for any other movie except for maybe Infinity War and Endgame. Just because I think that there's Same. so, like what you were saying, there's so much potential in in terms of kind of what they've laid out all over the place. And like you're saying, if if I care about this much, I know John Watts cares about it. So he's conscious right. of what I'm saying. I know that. Totally. One thing that I think kind of plays into what you were saying, and this would be my final thought on the movie before we get to ratings, what I love about Tom Holland's portrayal and the way that the character is written here is that even if he his kind of style of humor changes, even if he doesn't have that same kind of like charming, you know, younger geekiness, they have already set up that Spider-Man is unique among any other hero that we have in this universe in the way that he's just really out here trying to save everyone. Like he is a hero, you know, like, like, and I know you could say that about, about other characters too. Like they're obviously saving people, but it's like, you know, you see Iron Man go on missions, you see Cap go on missions, Ant-Man's trying to do like the highest, like they're all trying to do good things and save people kind of on a high level. But I love that like in the comics, Spider-Man is, is kind of, he's known for being the hero that like never really goes dark. Like he never wants to hurt people. He's always pulling his punches because he's just trying to do like the bare minimum to stop well, criminals. Spider-Man 3 would argue with that, but yep. Well, but that's what makes, that's what makes the black suit thing so interesting whenever it's done well is because that's like whenever you see aggressive Spider-Man, it changes things. But my point is like, here and, and a great example of this is that final scene when he when Tombs is trying to get away and his wings are about to explode and Peter's trying he to still web has him. to try to save him. Yeah, and he screams, I'm trying to save you. And he's like crying because it's like he cares so much about this guy, even though he's just tried to kill him so many times. And one scene, again, just because we are referencing all over the place anyway, there's a scene in Infinity War that I love so much. And it's like super fleeting, but it was one of the scenes that stuck with me even on the first watch is after they've tried to get Thanos's gauntlet off and he starts kind of flinging everybody everywhere and just like starts going hard on everyone. He throws like Mantis and Drax and maybe Nebula like yes, off in the I know distance. What you're gonna say. And Spider-Man goes, oh gosh, and goes and tries to catch all of them. And it's like, I just, I love that like that's his, they're separating him from say Tony, who like Tony in that moment is like, I got to defeat Thanos which is totally right. fair, right? But Spider-Man is like, oh gosh, I have to make sure they're not hurt. Like it's my responsibility to save everybody that I can all the time. And so I love that like, if nothing else, they have given this character this great core. And that's why, again, I say, I think Stan Lee had to be so happy with this incarnation of this character because it's so faithful to this just like really good hearted kid that he wrote in 1962. Yep. I love everything you just said. That's so true. That brings me to two more references that we missed. Like, how about when uh, Tony points out that, oh, that's you from the YouTube videos, but in the YouTube videos, he's stopping a bus, like a car with his bare hands. Right. Meaning, again, trying to protect them, like not actually right. let them get hurt. Versus like you're saying, a crime where he's 
taking down a mob boss, let's say. Right, it's more right. always from the other perspective. And I love it when they're kind of d- discussing and, and and Tony kind of plays on that meta line of, can't you just be like a, uh, you know, like a friendly you know, right. neighborhood Spider-Man or something? Oh, there's so yeah. much about this movie. It's so great because this is, I mean, this is the only, again, the only kind of classic superhero that we see in the MCU, which I love. I like that we don't get that a lot. Like every other hero kind of has their own niche or like, you know, they're fighting these big Yeah, battles. that's his niche is that like, his heart is like so pure. Yeah, he's the only one that we've ever seen that's just going around New York just protecting people and stopping kind of like petty thieves, you know, like that's, but that's Spider-Man's thing is he's just trying to make the city safer. Which is why it'll be even extra interesting if Spider-Man 3 deals with Mysterio spinning that it's partially Spider-Man's fault yes. and the city turning on him. It'll get Gosh. even more interesting because that's that's the opposite of what he's ever wanted. Okay, we have to start ranking this movie. This we do. episode's been like 90-something minutes. I, <laughs> but I... <laughs> I truly think I've had more fun doing this than I have on any of their episodes. And I've loved the other episodes. I'm with you. I'm with you. And that's so weird because this was not my number one movie, you know? But it, it just, I don't know. This watch just enlightened it for me. Okay. okay. You go first okay. this time. I know I've gone first the last like three times. <laughs> it's so true. You're it's up. true. It's true. So I actually, this movie or this rewatch was great for me because like I said in our last episode, I was really struggling some with my rankings after Black Panther. But I'm pretty confident with where I'm sitting right now. Um, I had said that Black Panther was my only top five movie we had seen so far. This is my second top five movie that we have seen. I love it. Because Spider-Man Homecoming comes in at number five, right above Guardians of the Galaxy with a score of 96. And I struggled so much with that. My rationale for that, it just I, I, after after thinking about it a lot, is... There is another movie up in my top five that does a lot of what Guardians does, and and I just think it does it in a way that resonates with me a bit more. I love Guardians so much, but Spider-Man Homecoming, it could be just the Spider-Man fan in me. I think that I probably connect with, with Peter Parker slightly more, and you maybe connect with Peter Quill slightly more, but this movie is just... It's so it's not only just a great movie, but talking about how how certain films bring something like really unique and just doing the kind of John Hughes coming of age thing so well, getting the heart right, the MCU shout outs, the Spider-Man shout outs, it's just great. And so mm-hmm. it's my number five. We're really we're getting in here now. We're we're pretty much everything we're hitting over the next few weeks, we're just gonna be covering my all-time favorites. But this is up there. What about you? I love that you keep pointing this out because if you had to draw a battle line of if you're team Cap, let's say, and I'm team Iron Man, it's funny that you can draw, I think, parallels between characters that I resonate with versus you resonate with. Like, it makes sense that I would resonate with Peter Quill, with Doctor Strange, and you would resonate with Black Panther and Spider-Man. Uh, and it's also right. then interesting to note that they mixed those lines a little bit for actual Civil War. Right. Um, yeah. But you're probably not far off with that. Like, I love this film, but is my heart a little bit more towards Peter Quill? Sure. I guess, if I had to say. Like, maybe a little bit as far as the moments I get with him specifically. Right. So that's funny. The next thing I want to say is... This is where the number score I give gets really sticky for me because I honestly believe this. As far as what this movie was trying to do, I think it's like a 100 or a 99. I, I, I can't think of any line that is dumb or out of place. I can't think of any visual that rubs me the wrong way. Right. I can't think of any plot that doesn't make sense or isn't 
filled with enough stakes. Like, I have no critique of the movie. My only critique is questioning how is Spider-Man going to go forward? You know, that was my only thing. Right. But I have no critique of the movie. However, I don't think it's my favorite movie in the MCU. So I have to lower the number score to make it fit. So I just want to give that disclaimer. Like, that's where it doesn't line up for me. Like, on Rotten Tomatoes, this should be like a 98. But I'm going to move it down a little bit so it fits in my list. Does that make sense? And I've said before, you know, we've joked about my number scores. I decided at some point that I didn't want to have to make my number scores fit with my ranking. So I, I have That's some what movies I should have done. that have like similar grades, you know, but one one is just slightly yes. edged out. So like Black Panther and Spider-Man Homecoming both have 96s, but, right. you know, like obviously they're ranked differently. So I'm giving this movie a 94 and... It was seventh in my notes, and I'm going to move it to sixth because all night I wrestled with, it's tied with Winter Soldier for me. Six was Winter Soldier. This was seven, and they both have a 94. And just doing this episode, I'm going to flip-flop because I don't think I ever felt as passionate about Winter Soldier as I just did doing this. So sixth on my list. But I also want to note one other thing. I think this is important. Black Panther, I rated it an 87. But what our listeners should know is I originally had Black Panther as an 81 the first three times I watched it. Wow. So that's a pretty significant jump up. So even though I don't love the movie with all my heart, I did move it way up. The same thing happened with this movie. This movie had a 91, and now I'm moving it up to a 94. So something with those two films struck me. And our listeners know I haven't moved every movie up, but those two in particular did get a promotion. One thing I want to say, talking about those two movies, I really do feel like watching them as this kind of section of Civil War fallout versus the way that they were released helps a ton. Because even like, it feels so intentional from even the Russo brothers, like the the end credit scenes of Civil War, right? Like the first one is Wakanda and Black Panther. The second one is Spider-Man in his room with a spider signal. And then for our our next movies to be Black Panther and then Spider-Man following up on those things, they both feel like such great follow-ups to not just those character stories, but also to the events of Civil War. And it's enhanced both watchings for me, I think. No doubt. I love it. So that's where we're at. Now, we want you listeners to tell us where you're at. Yes. So you just watched Homecoming with us. You're enjoying it like we did, hopefully. Let us know. Hit us up on social media at the FFW Podcast or at our website, theffwpodcast.com. Kyle. And... Yes. We do have to say one more thing. I know we've said so many things. Okay, I love it. (laughs) We do have to say one more thing. Um, We've referenced Spider-Man Far From Home so much, and we've already been getting some questions from folks online about why Spider-Man Far From Home isn't in our official rewatch order. And that is not a mistake. It is an intentional decision. Do you want to tell us about that, Kyle? You want me to talk about it? Um, Robbie and I... Both loved Endgame so much and what it meant to the MCU. And we both didn't love the idea of releasing another quote-unquote palate cleanser type movie so soon after Endgame. Right. And so while re-watching, we both think it'd be best to cover the movies that are going to be after Endgame in season two. Right. So yep. that way, if you're just watching these for the first time or re-watching, you give yourself some more time 
to process and sit with the events of Endgame, like we do with Civil War, before we start dealing with the aftermath. I think Far From Home being released when it did was probably just Sony wanting to be a part of a summer blockbuster more than it was Marvel saying this is specifically the time it should be released. So I love Far From Home. Robbie knows that. But we're going to get there in season two. Right. So I think it's it's way better to think of Far From Home as the first chapter of the next era of the MCU than the final chapter of the Infinity Saga. And so I'm excited to kind of watch it in that way. Now, that said, we are going to try to cover Black Widow in season one, which will likely come true. after Endgame. And that is, again, intentional because, as we've said before, Black Widow is supposed to occur sometime between Civil War and Infinity War. Of course, we don't know what all is going to happen around that in terms of whether we get some kind of flashbacks or flash forwards or whatever. But I think basically everything we're covering in this first season is all very Infinity Saga focused. And then we're going to kind of kick off the next season with Spider-Man Far From Home and then Falcon and Winter Soldier in terms of dealing with the aftermath of what's happened in Avengers Endgame. Absolutely. And actually, our listeners have something to look forward to. We have some incredible movies coming up still, but the entire month of April, we are thinking, is going to be like Avengers Month. So prepare that all of April will be that. That will lead us perfectly into Black Widow, and then we can go from there. Okay, wow, I had so much fun. I was already (laughs) wrapping this up, and you interjected, which I love. We just have so much to say. Um, all the typical usual things though if you can leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts please do yes. if you need to follow us on Spotify please do if you need to subscribe to us please do hit us up everywhere else and we will see you next time on Friends from Work we can't wait love you all bye bye